Good morning. Our scripture reading this morning is from the book of Hebrews, and it's chapters 4, verses 12 through 13. The word of the Lord reads this way. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. And this is the word of the Lord. And if you are thankful for it this morning, join me in saying thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let's pray. Let's pray. (laughs) Father, thank you for your word this morning. Father, uh, thank you that uh, in this journey that you've called us to, that you give us the grace that is sufficient to the task. And so, Father, as we, as we uh, come to your word, give us uh, the humility and the, uh, the a heart that is sensitive and a mind that is ready. Father, for your glory and for our good, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. If you heard last week's sermon, I would say to you, welcome to CTL Flight 412, nonstop flight to New York, but secretly we're headed to Moscow. If you know what I mean, you can laugh. When it came to Christianity, on a different note, some of you were sold a real nice, complex and beautiful piece of furniture. Not the junk that you get from Ikea, but you were told no assembly required. Just take it home, pull it from the box, signed, sealed, delivered, only to get it home and realize there's hundreds of pages of instructions, a million pieces, and you and I having to do something with it. You were told, or you thought, just come to Jesus. You can go to heaven. That's it, period. Just say a prayer. Don't worry about anything else. But you know what's interesting? What's funny, I think. When Jesus is calling people to follow him, when when Jesus is kind of giving his salvation call in, in Luke 14, verse 28, he says, for which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost. This is where he says, you're going to have to pick up your cross and follow me, and you should consider that. Jesus says to them a little bit more than, why don't you just say a prayer and come follow me? Now, all of us are at different places with this beautiful piece of furniture. I have three different categories, very briefly. Some of us have lots built We're enjoying the journey, flipping from page to page, putting one piece together after the next, excited to turn the page, building and building and building. Second category, some of you feel like it's drudgery or dull. I'll just sit over here and admire this garbage I bought from Walmart. Third category, Some of you still can't believe assembly is required, and you're frustrated that the furniture is still in the box, and you love blaming other people for your stupidity. 
That's why some of us are still drinking milk. That's why for some of us, when we're handed a steak, we make some sort of excuse to not eat it and just pass it on to somebody else, kind of like my five-year-old does when she doesn't want to finish her plate. When it came to Christianity, some of us were sold and no, no assembly required, or at least we thought that was the case. Now we're learning that there might actually be some assembly required. Now as we venture into this passage a little more closely, rest, the idea of rest, as we've talked about, you've heard that word used in multiple different ways over the course of the past number of weeks particularly. But rest comes in different shapes and sizes. And it's important for us to know which shape and size we are talking about in this moment. Now, I don't mean some rest this way and some rest this way, but what are the different ways that the scriptures are talking about rest? Now, I'm going to put those in two broad categories here. The first is this, the rest of justification, and then the rest of sanctification. Those are kind of the two broad categories of rest being talked about in this, and I'm going to use these words, but I'm going to use these words in a little bit of a different way. Let me read to you a couple different phrases. If you want to write this down, I think it'd be helpful. You can't be sure to any measure of the rest of justification if you're not walking out the rest of sanctification. You cannot be sure to any measure of the rest of justification if you're not walking out the rest of sanctification. Second phrase, the rest of justification leads to the rest of sanctification. The rest of justification You can even add the word necessarily leads to the rest of sanctification. Now, I'm using doublespeak when I say these phrases. Now, lest I I lose you, let me say it in a little bit of a different way here. The rest of justification. We have been told since the beginning of Hebrews, now hear me clearly, if you miss this, you're going to miss the point. But we've been told since the, since the beginning of Hebrews that our only place that we can rest our heads, the only place that our souls can be put to ease when it comes to being right with Almighty and Holy God, or namely being justified, is through our all-sufficient Savior, Jesus Christ. Period. The rest of justification is only experienced through Jesus Christ, period. And there and only there is true eternal rest, both now and in the eschaton, both now and post-death or post the return of Christ. The rest of justification Now the rest of sanctification. We have been more recently told in the book of Hebrews that resting in justification in Christ alone 
will do two things. One, you can only be confident to any measure that your justification is real if you are walking out the remainder of your sanctification, the rest of your sanctification. Second thing we've been told in Hebrews is that if you don't walk out that sanctification or the rest of your sanctification or the remainder of your sanctification, then he says you will not enter that final rest, a.k.a. heaven. Each day, we must walk out the remaining or the rest of that sanctification. Both go hand in hand. So the rest of justification, truly resting in the Lord for justification, will lead to walking out the rest of sanctification. A couple other short comments here. Jeff reminded us last week from these earlier parts of chapter 4 that God completed his work. That when he created the world, he worked for six days and then he rested. He was done. His creation was done. And so he rested. We also see this in the New Testament, that redemption has been completed. And so symbolized by Christ's ascension to sit on his throne. A picture of rest that has been finished. Even said on the cross, Jesus says, what? It is finished. This work is done. But what is finished? Redemption. All his sheep, sins now atoned for. That Jesus is enough. That rest in him is fully and finally. That Jesus earned for us the salvation we could never have grasped ourselves. We should enjoy the rest of justification each and every day. Now here's the thing. How do you enjoy the restfulness of justification? How do you actually take part in the restfulness of justification? What does it look like for someone who's resting in justification via the rest of sanctification? We enjoy the rest of justification as we walk out the remainder or the rest of sanctification, the striving, the labor, the struggle to believe rightly, the effort to walk righteously. At the, all the times spent in Bible and prayer and the hard conversations and living out the mission of God, conquering, building, and running. Why? Why is that something to be enjoyed? Because if it's done while resting in Christ for your justification, then every little bit of the rest of sanctification is some measure of an indication of your justification with the coming reward of glorification in heaven and our eternal rest. How do you enjoy the restfulness of justification? You do it by walking out the rest of sanctification. It leads to that. And the joy as you walk out the rest of of sanctification, if you understand and it's coming from the rest of justification, then you see the evidence of the work of the Spirit. 
and the work of the word of the Lord in your life. Here's the thing that, back to the some assembly required. Right now, it is our time of labor. As a Christian, it is our time of labor to strive, to work hard. So I'm picking up in verse 11 here. To strive, to work hard. And I can hear the complaints coming from down the road. Don't talk about what I have to do. That takes away from the glory of Jesus. Just tell me how awesome Jesus is. In other words, just tell me to repent and have faith, but don't tell me exactly what I need to repent of. It might be just a little too much. But the writer of Hebrews said, for three chapters already, that our justification, our rest for justification is in Christ alone. Now, he's beginning to show us what does our labor look like. In other words, it's our time to pull out the instructions and start assembling some of the furniture. Yes, listen, follow the metaphor with me. Yes, the craftsmanship of the furniture has all been done. All the joints line up. All the carvings are incredible. The lines are straight and level. The grain is tight because the wood is aged with maturity. The stain is just right. The carpenter has said it's finished. And Philippians tells us he will finish the job. But yet our rest is yet to come. It is promised, but it is yet to come. Our eternal rest, our experience of that is yet to come. Listen, rest like the rest reserved for us in heaven, if it were to be enjoyed here, then your heart and my heart would be ever glued to this world. Did you hear me? Yes, Corbin heard me. Rest like the rest reserved in heaven. A.W. Pink says, if it were to be enjoyed here, your heart would be ever glued to this world. Someone else said this, it would slack our longing desire after Christ in heaven. Death would be more irksome and heaven the less welcome. If there were heaven's rest here, there would be no proof through trial of the durability of your spiritual armor. If heaven's rest were here, there would be no understanding of God's preserving grace through suffering. If heaven's rest were here, there would be no understanding of God's providence, His prudence, His power, and His mercy. Our rest is promised. It is sure, but it is also to come. For now, we make haste to read the instructions, for there is assembly required. Verse 12, for the word of God is living and active. But I think here is our problem by and large as we walk into verse 12 and 13. Our problem is this. I've been walking through the Westminster Shorter Catechism with my kids. 
we have this word called theology, which is simply the study of God from his word. Westminster Catechism, question number two, says this, what rule hath God given to direct us that we may glorify and enjoy him? The answer, the word of God, which is contained in the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments, is the only rule to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy him. But I think by and large, many of us have exchanged theology with emotiology. Thus saith the Lord has been replaced with thus feeleth my heart. Or the Bible says has been replaced with experience says. The Bible often is no longer for many of us the lens through which Christians filter and understand the world. I mean, just think about it. The moment you get up and you're already frustrated with something that's happening, right? You've been up 10 minutes and something just isn't quite going right. Are you viewing that moment through the lens of God's word, through theology, or are you viewing that moment through your emotiology, through the way you feel? What's governing that moment? The Bible oftentimes is no longer our filter. I feel this way. I don't feel this way. Listen, I just experienced a grand display of this in the past week. And again, we've, if, this, if this is the case, we've lost so much. And here's the danger. If we do not strive, and what is striving in this context? To know God's word and trust it. Like at its root, to know God through his word and trust him. And here's the danger. If we do not strive in that, he says, we will fall by the same sort of disobedience. Whose disobedience? What's the example? As the Israelites did, therefore, he says, we will. And what will happen? We will not enter that eternal rest. Again, how do we strive? To strive means to make haste. It's really not rocket science. It's really not hard conceptually. The answer to how do we strive is simply this. Verse 12, for the word of God. That's it. Plainly that. We strive to enter his rest for the word of God. Period. Now I get it. We all make excuses. We have all of them lined up already. I'm too busy. I don't have time. I'm just not that smart. I'm too tired. What's funny is that those same people also seem to always have it all figured out. They're the ones who don't heed warnings or think they have the fix to all of their problems or week in and week out are presented with a feast and yet they pass on the plate to someone else. To those people, I say, I hope you wake up, but at least don't blame anybody else for your piece of furniture still being in the box. No one else can make you put it together. But here's the deal. Hebrews is not really talking to that group of people. He's not really talking to the people sitting across the room who are still frustrated that some assembly is required and someone won't come do all the work for them. He's writing to those of you, and hear me clearly, 
those of you who are indeed striving, he's writing to you. Instructions in one hand and a tool in the other hand. And he's saying, don't stop. Don't stop. Keep building. Keep conquering. Keep walking. Lest you fall by the same sort of disobedience. Again, what was that disobedience? Simply put, failure to trust the word of God. Failure to trust God. Failure to turn the page from one to two, from two to three, from three to four, to put the hand to the screwdriver, screwing in the next screw, to put the next piece together. He's saying to you who's got the tool in one hand, the instructions in the other, and the pieces of furniture in front of you, he's saying, don't stop. Keep going. The next page, it just gets better. It gets better. It might get harder, but it gets better. We get closer up and closer in. Remember, Israel failed to listen to God's word. It was really that simple. One commentator said this, God's word whose sanctions were imposed so effectively upon the Exodus generation is performative today and confronts the Christian community with the same alternatives of rest and wrath. Those who remain insensitive to the voice of God in Scripture may discover that God's word is also a lethal weapon. But for you, who has the tool in a hand and the instructions in the other, what a gift verses 12 and 13 are to us. Here we are, this side of eternal rest, wandering as sojourners and strangers in this world, striving towards that. And we get this amazing gift as we labor on. We get God's word to work out the rest of sanctification while enjoying the rest of justification. Listen, this Christ, thus far in Hebrews, this Christ who is sufficient to save is also sufficient to savor in his word and lead us to that eternal rest. You know, Andy Stanley recently said this, the Bible, the quote, the Bible says, to use that phrase, is not sufficient for some adults. I think he's right. I think that's sad. His answer was to go on and give other opportunity, other ways, versus simply the Bible says. Listen, the Bible says is enough for God's people. The Bible, Jesus says, my, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. You know what that means? When a sheep hears the Bible says, the sheep follow what the Bible says. If you hear his voice and you're his sheep, you will follow. And that, listen, that is built into the DNA of the new man the new woman in Christ, that desire, that hearing, the ability to hear his voice, to recognize what he says, and to follow that, that's built into our very DNA of who we are. And then he says, here's the word in verse 12. What I think we see in verses 12 and 13 at large is the sufficiency of God's word. The sufficiency of God's word for those who are striving. 
One commentator said this, the word, meaning capital W, Jesus, who is the apostle of our profession. He's the apostle of our profession. You see, the Christ who is sufficient for your rest and justification is the word himself who is sufficient for the rest of sanctification until you enter that final rest. So for those of you who like lists, I'm going to give you seven ways the word secures the rest of sanctification. Seven ways the word secures the rest of sanctification. It will not be an acronym. I'm not smart enough to do those, especially with seven. Number one, the word is Christ. The word is Christ. You know, in verse 12, he starts off with this, for the word of God. I hope this is a little bit of a lesson in slowing down when you read sometimes. Sometimes it's good just to read fast and get the big picture in. Sometimes it's good to slow down. You should slow down when it says, for the word of God. Let me put it in simpler English. For God's word says this. If you prefer apostrophe S there, it's his word. Of God means it's his. These are his words. In John 1.1, 1, 1, it says, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. For those who are striving, these that we're reading are the very words of the one who is sufficiently our Savior for the rest of our justification. They're his words. The, the one who secured the rest place of your justification. These are his words. I, I don't know if that sits on you, how that lands on you. But these are his words. It's the very words of the one who earned our eternal rest. If our rest of justification rests in the work of Christ, and these are the words of Christ, might his words have some bearing on the rest of sanctification? Might we need to know what the page says next on page two? How many of you are the put the thing together and not read the instructions? Any of those? Just look at the picture. Yeah. Yeah, you read your Bible that way too. Someone said, ouch. Uh, Listen, I had my hand raised too on purpose. But Jesus, the one who secures the rest, has words and important words. He says, strive to finish out the rest of sanctification so you may enter final rest for the word of God. This word will be helpful in many ways. But first, we must realize it's the very words of God. Now listen to me, if you want to enjoy that beautiful piece of furniture, if you want the creator of that thing, that furniture to be glorified, you're going to have to pick up the instructions. And listen, motivation is not what it's cracked up to be. Well, I just got to get motivated. I don't read my Bible because I can't find the right motivation. What do you think will motivate so-and-so to read their Bible? Listen, I I want you to think for just a moment how much the Bible actually talks about sparking someone's motivation. 
I'm not saying it doesn't, but how often does it talk about it? Often that motivation is fickle, and for many of us, the problem with our idea of modern, our modern understanding of motivation is if we're, as we often are just looking for something to give us a spark to go read our Bibles, a spark to like, what will motivate my heart to go do the next thing, versus if you believe God first loved you, then out of love and response to him, I think the Bible talks a lot about self-discipline, about being disciplined, disciplined. There's lots of talk in the Bible about self-control and self-discipline. I'll give you a few passages. You can look them up later. Proverbs 25, 28. 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27. That's where Paul is talking about running the race and beating the flesh. I don't hear Paul talking much about motivation in that passage. He's talking about discipline. He's talking about choosing to be disciplined. 2 Timothy 1, 7. Galatians 5, 22 through 23. Titus 1.8, if you didn't get all of those, hopefully you sit next to a person who writes faster than you. Proverbs 13.4, I'm going to read Proverbs 13.4 for you. Listen to this, the soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, sounds about right, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. Now, let's, let's take that back to the context of strive to enter that rest for the Word of God. You will be richly supplied the goods you need to finish out the rest of sanctification if you will be diligent to know the Word of God. Again, it's not rocket science, but it takes discipline in a world where discipline is highly overrated. But we'll be disciplined at all sorts of other things, making sure the kids get out of the door on time for school. We'll be disciplined, you know, for the month of January, eating healthy or starting a new uh, workout regimen. We'll be disciplined to all sorts of things. The soul of the sluggard craves, but yet gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. Strive, strive, make haste. For the word of God, the soul of the sluggard with the instruction still in the box craves and gets nothing. But the one who is diligent in reading and the instructions and conquering the next step is richly supplied. Now, why is he supplied? How is he supplied? So it's for the word of God. What's next? The word is living. This word of God is living. For the word of God is living. Verse 12. It's alive. Why is it alive? Because Christ is alive and he's the word. Because he's not in the tomb. The scriptures didn't get buried in the tomb and left there because his body's there too. The word is alive. 
Listen, the word of God is like a seed that's planted in soil, right? You've heard this. It germinates. It sprouts. Let's imagine for a moment we're in good soil because you're being diligent and being humble. That seed, it germinates. It sprouts. It spreads roots. It breaks through the soil toward the sunlight. It spreads its leaves and it gives birth to fruit. Now think about this with me. Let me give you a little bit. I went on like a little bit of a rabbit hole on my Google search here. I had to look these numbers up. I did not know these. And I I know I'm a little bit of a farmer now, but I I didn't know these off the top of my head. Consider a fruit tree. You might expend, I mean, some of us more than others, 500 calories to plant the seed. I mean, if if, if you spent 500 calories to plant an apple seed, you, you might need to go get on a treadmill. But uh, if you spent, five, let's just say, 500 calories to plant that seed, and we'll add cultivate the ground, whatever that is, right? Water, some uh, fecal matter from worms. I heard that's a good thing. It's a, it's a nu- nutrient-dense. Give that to your, there. You know, the average dwarf apple tree. So not, we're not talking about the big apple tree, just the little short ones that's cute for you to go in the fall and pick apples from. Those little things supply roughly 300 apples a year. An apple is worth roughly 100 calories per apple. That's one tree producing 30,000 calories, which is energy, 30,000 calories in one year. So you plant that seed, and then you have to, you're going to have to groom it and all that stuff for, for a few years. At about five years, they start producing apples. 30, 300 apples at 100 calories per apple is 30,000 calories. The average lifespan of an apple tree is 50 to 80 years. Let's just take 50 years. 50 years at 30,000 calories, your 500 calories of seed planting produced 1.5 million calories of human energy. John 6.63 says this, the words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. Do you hear that? Jesus' words are spirit and life. They are living when I expend even a couple thousand, well, maybe not a couple, I wish it was a couple thousand calories preaching, but however many calories I expend preaching, I'm expecting that to turn into millions and millions of calories for God's kingdom. Why? Not because I'm a good preacher. We know that. Because the word is alive. Because when, it, when that seed, for, for some of you this happens every week, for some of you this happens every few months, for some of you we're still praying this happens, that the seed would sink deep into your soul and it would sprout. And its, it's, its roots would find its way into every crevice of your soul. And then as it grows and it bursts forth through the soil and reaches to the sky, Listen, the Word of God is alive. Listen, we believe these kinds of things all the time. We take the latest words of the latest fad diet, plant it deep in our mind, believing that it will make a difference. 
or that it will be living inside of us. Or we take that stupid New Year's resolution, and we expect because we wrote it down, we put it on the calendar, you know, wrote it out so we could see it in the mirror, that somehow those words will reach deep into our soul and make a difference in the year 2023. But the Word of God is alive. It has supernatural abilities. The Enneagram doesn't have this ability. But the Word of God does. It digs deep roots. It spreads its roots to the furthest edges. It strengthens the soil. At the back end of, of our homestead, there's a creek running through it. And there's trees that line that. And I want to change out some of the trees because some of them are not as preferable. They're not as pretty. And some are invasive. But what I have to be mindful of is that erosion will happen if I take too many of those trees out and not replace them quickly or do it too fast. The seed... The word is living. It's alive. Next, the word is effectual. Not affectual, but effectual. It has an effect. It is effective. Some of us don't actually believe this. We just gloss over God's words, or we just let it go in one ear and out the other. Or we hear it, And then we go try to apply it, but we do it half-heartedly. Why? Because we don't believe it's actually effective. He says this, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. What's he talking about? Listen, for them, this is one of the most effective military tools that they would have had. At least for on their person, as a single uh, soldier. And he's saying it's more effective than that. It's more effective at killing and piercing and protecting than even that two-edged sword, dear soldier. Listen, the Word of God is vibrant, dynamic, energizing, and productive. It's not static or idle in the lives of genuine believers. So let me be real plain with you. If you don't have a life that shows signs of the active Word of God in your life, then you're probably not a genuine believer. I think that's one of the most kind things I could say to you. To you, I would say, listen, there is hope. Turn to Christ now. Turn to Him now. What this also tells us is that the word is effective to both judge and to save. It also shows us that the word is active and not just reactive. Like a sword was not just meant to protect, like to be responding, but to pursue. It's not just reactive, but active. The Word of God is our definitive, offensive weapon against the assaults of a spiritual enemy. Do you believe that? What do you fight off the devil with? Your good vibes? 
You like that on, on Facebook? Would someone send me some good vibes? I don't know what the heck those are going to do, but here you go. I'm going to pray that you see those good vibes are terrible. That's what I'm praying for. Come on, y'all are smirking. You know what I'm talking about. The Word of God is our definitive offensive weapon against the assaults of a spiritual enemy. We've got to get past this sitting around, just doing our own thing, and then when life gets tough, all of a sudden we need the Bible. If you wait till then, you've probably already lost. If you wait till then, your pastors probably can't help you much. But listen, don't be in the Word. Let me, let me encourage you. Some of us, we just live this Christian life, kind of like we're just kind of doing our own thing, and then we kind of dabble in the Bible a little bit, and, and especially when life gets hard, we go to the Bible. But let, let me encourage you with something. Don't just be in the Word in order to be prepared to respond to life's challenges. Instead, be in the Word to know what to go do next to know what to go conquer next, to know what to go be a part of next, to go change and subdue next. Be in the word to be on the offensive, not just on the defensive. There's room for both. But be in the word to know what part to construct next, which piece of the furniture to put together next. We're on a mission. Christ has given us marching. Or he, do, he doesn't say in the Great Commission, hey, guys, make sure you go out and know your Bible so that you know how to respond to life. Is that what he says in Matthew 28? No, he says, go make disciples. Go teach them how to obey all that I've commanded. Does that sound like this defensive posture that we tend to live life? No, it's an offensive posture. This strive, make haste. Does that sound like sit back, be protective? No. He's saying take the next acre. Take the next step. How do you do that? For the word of God. If you don't do it, you will fall by the way in disobedience. We have marching orders. You have furniture to put together. I know that doesn't excite some of you because you've been putting together Ikea furniture. But the Lord's creations are much better. Listen, if you want to be busy, our culture loves being busy, idolizes being busy. That's the, the, the cool, righteous thing. At least be busy knowing God's word and doing the next thing it says. For some of you, that would cure your depression it would do well for your grumbling. It would help you with your complaining, your fear, your anxieties. Instead of filling your mind with the word and just a response to life, but going to the word for, Lord, what is next? How do I apply this in my life next? How do I apply this in my family's life next, in my workplace for some of you, that would be your way of just getting out of bed and doing the next thing. The word is effectual. Listen, if the Bible is just information for you to consume, then you and I can just take it or leave it. 
But we know that the Bible does not return void. So even that seed that does not fall into good soil, it's still going to do its thing. It's still going to be effectual. We'll see that more in a few moments here. But effectual, again, means it has an effect. It actually does something. It makes a difference. It's powerful. And some of you know this. Some of you know how powerful the word is. I've watched you this past year. Well, 2022 and 2023, the, the few days we've had. I've seen it. I've heard testimonies of it. I was enslaved to sin. I studied God's word. And now I'm free. I've heard multiple testimonies of that. You guys have heard some of that publicly here. Remember our family meeting back in December? I can think of one particular one where I was enslaved to this particular sin. I was led to study the word of God in this way, in these passages, and I was set free from that sin. Praise God. It's effective. It's more effective than anything else you're going to read. And yet we give so much of our time to these other things. You say, but it's not effective in my life. There's a simple answer for you. You don't believe it. Period. Don't trust it. You might be in the wilderness generation. To you, repent and believe. Repent and believe, period. The living and active word is what we've been giving. And what does it do? It pierces. The word is piercing. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing. Listen, it is able, the word of God is able to make its way through all the crap, all the smoke screens, all the facades, all the second letter of the alphabet and the 19th letter of the alphabet. It can cut through it all. Some of you are trying to count through the alphabet right now, and I lost you. Nothing can stop it. Nothing can stop the word from working, from piercing, from working its way in and exposing error along the way. You can't stop it, and I can't stop it. This is why so many churches in our day are ineffective at building God's kingdom. It's because they think funny jokes, good stories, fog machines, great lighting, personality charts can pierce through to the soul and to the spirit. But only the word of God can pierce through to the soul and the spirit. Listen, it's why your elders can oftentimes see right through the crap. That's why we oftentimes got to find a different pastor when he goes out of style. He's just piercing a little too close to that sacred spot with the word. So let me go find another pastor where I can hide for at least this next season. Now, what's the perceived danger for the person in rebellion? What? That they would not enter the rest. But the word is able to pierce through. 
Listen, for, for, for those of you, uh, before I go any further, for those of you, you've got, you got the tool in one hand, the instructions in the other hand, and because you've got three hands, you've got the apart from what you're building in the other, right? This is a good thing for you and I. Because the word is able to pierce through when we're not on target. The word is able to pierce through. It's more effective than that instructions from Ikea. It can, this can actually tell you when you're putting it together wrong. It can tell you when you put it together right. It can tell you when you're, when you're, you're uh, faking. It can tell you when you think you got it, but you don't got it. The word is able to pierce to run deep. It's able to divide the soul and the spirit. Number six, the word is regenerative. The word is regenerative. It regenerates. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit. He says of joints and of marrow. We'll get to that one more in a second, but so joints and marrow is an analogy of the soul and the spirit. The joints are like the thick, hard outer part of the bones. The marrow is a soft, tender, living inner part of the bone. The Word of God is able to cut right through the hard outer part of the bone into the soft, tender, living part of the bone. The soul is that invisible part of us that we're born with. The spirit is something we're given at new birth. So think of it as the soul is like this hard outer part, and the soul or the spirit is like this soft, tender, living part that we're given. The, the, what he's saying here is that the word is able to cut right through that bone and into and pierce into that soft, living, tender part of our existence. Let me put it in different words. It is the Word of God that reveals our true selves. Again, it can cut through the crap. It can pierce right through it. That's good for you and I. That's good for you and I who have the tendency to look at ourselves in the mirror and then walk away forgetting what we looked like. We need something that is active and living and able to cut through. We need that desperately. We all have times where we're living a lie. And we need the word to be able to pierce through. The word is able to pierce through and show us where we are spiritually alive and where we are spiritually dead. I'll put it in, in more common terms. It can show us what is of Christ and righteous and what is of our father, the devil. What is evil? What is not good? It reveals where we are resting for justification. It shows if we're clinging to the cross or if we're clinging to our own works of righteousness. 
You see the rest of sanctification, the remainder of sanctification. The word is able to bring our entire being into line with our resting in justification through Christ alone. As part of the, uh, uh, at least an implication of this joint and marrow example here is that the word is, a, is effective for the entire being, for our entire existence. Number seven, the word is revealing and exposing. In the previous one, when something is exposed is dead, it can bring it to life. Here, the word is revealing and exposing. It says, joints and of marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. This, to put it in the words of one commentator, this package deal here tells of the word's discriminating power over every part of our being. The thoughts and intentions of the heart. Here's part of the point here. The word is going to pierce through and reveal from our thoughts and our intentions whether they are alive and in Christ or they are dead and of the flesh. So there's moments like when I, if I'm going to strive, make haste, what am I making haste to do? What am I striving to do? That all of my life would be in line with God's words. Why? Because I trust what he's saying. What will the word of God do? It will discern that which is righteous and that which is not. That's a gift. That's a gift for you and I, whose temptation is to grow cold, whose proneness is to wander. It means for a life of holiness unto God's glory that we don't need the latest sociological ideals. We don't need the latest personality chart. Rather, the Word of God is sufficient for bringing in line the rest of our sanctification with the rest of our justification. Now listen, I, I, don't, I don't know how you spend your days, but this is, for me, a strong reality. Faced with a world that wants to make all of these demands on my life for what looks righteous and what will earn me justification. If you live this way, you talk this way, you preach this way, you counsel this way, you walk down the road this way, you look at this race this way, you look at this uh, oppressed group this way, you do all of these things and you can be justified. If you understand this person's personality so that you know how to speak to them in their way, if you know this person's love language so you know how to show them love and all those things, right? How do you keep up with all of that? You can't. And we don't have to. What are we to keep up with? Simply God's Word. And here's the deal. You and I don't have the grace 
of God guaranteed to us to understand the ins and outs of the latest personality chart. But you and I have the grace of God to understand his word. Did you hear me? You and I have the grace of God. Again, Corbin heard me. You and I have the grace of God to understand his word. That means we have his power to understand his powerful word. A.W. Pink said this, the more we submit ourselves unto the word's searching and convicting influence, the more shall we be blessed. Listen, the more God will be glorified, the more we will be blessed, and the more assured we can be of entering that rest. So strive to do what? To live by the word through the power of of the Spirit. How do we do that? We trust and we know and trust the Word. It's really that simple. But you got to know it before you can trust it. But you got to trust it because knowing it's not enough. But God's sheep hear His voice and they follow Him. And we hear His voice in His Word. Let me end with this quote from John Piper. He says, give yourselves to this word of God in the Bible. Use it to know yourself and confirm your own spiritual life. If there is life, there will be love and joy and a heart to obey the word. Give yourselves to this word so that your words become, so that your words become the word of God for others and reveal to them their own spiritual condition. The Word of God is piercing. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and the spirit of joints and of marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. How do we strive? How do we strive so that we don't fall by the way of disobedience like the wilderness generation? For the Word of God. Saying, turn. Turn to the Word. For the word of God is powerful, regenerative, exposing, it's piercing, it's effective, it's living, and it is the very words of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for, for your words. We don't have to depend on our words, others' words, the words our world is trying to sell us, but your word, simply your word. Trusting, obeying your word. Father, for this, it's, it's, it's hard. For there are so many other things that's easier for us oftentimes to place our trust in. But let us remember always that the one whom we can rest in for justification alone, Jesus Christ, your Son, our Savior, our Lord, that it is his words, that he is the word, and it is his words that you have given us that we might strive, that we might walk in this side of eternal rest. So give us, give us the grace to turn to him when we fail. Give us the grace to walk in repentance when the word pierces us deeply. 
And Father, let the rest of our justification work itself out marvelously in the rest of our sanctification. I ask all these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.